0: And welcome to the Auto Movie Podcast. As ever, I'm Chris Ratcliffe and I'm with Martin Spain. And we've made it to episode 20. In this episode, we're looking at kids' films. But first, all the feedback that we've had since the last couple of episodes has just been brilliant. We've been really enjoying all your comments and all your suggestions and all of the nice things that you've said about us on Twitter and on Instagram and all the other platforms, Um, especially... A couple of suggestions that we've had for best car movie openings. Um, One was from our friend Matt Lange, who suggested the opening sequence of Drive,
1: um, which was very differently shot to other Chase sequences. I must admit, I can't remember the opening scene (laughs) of Drive, and therefore I'm going to have to go back and watch it. I remember really enjoying it for the mood and the vibe and the Mm. 80s synthwave soundtrack, but I have only watched it once because I think I watched it expecting more exciting things car-wise than I actually got. What you got was a kind of um, (laughs) neon-soaked crime drama. Uh, And I maybe was thinking a bit more John Frankenheimer, uh, and I didn't get that. So I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it, but it is a good shout. Thanks, Matt. One other we had from Charles Brand was the best
0: opening scene to a car film from It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, which is one of the most forgotten car films but one that keeps coming up on particularly on the Intermission podcast we do so thank you Charles again I think that's another film that would really be worth doing a proper deep dive on at some point in the future yeah was it Mike Spinelli who, uh, who named that as one of it his was. Films? it was I, I think that there's a whole there's a whole genre of forgotten car films that I think would be
1: really worth going back and having a dig through even ones like Drive yeah, speaking of which, you posted up on our little show notes here that Mark Commode has put together a list of his top ten or his favourite car mm. movies, let's say. And that list has what I would consider to be a few slightly more forgotten movies in there. Mm. American Graffiti. I always forget that George Lucas's <laughs> first movie... Okay his first movie was THX 1138 but let's not split hairs his first major movie was not Star Wars it was American Graffiti mm. and I've never seen it no me either. never once so and it's full of cars and I that would be a good one to kind of drop in and just check it out as as sort of a big slice of Americana mm. uh with your classic hot rods and just see what that world is like so that's that's an interesting one for me Two Lane Blacktop that's another early 70s one that I have seen but so long ago I can't remember anything about it so I have to revisit that he names stuff like The Italian Job a film I've never heard of called Radio On uh, which is a British movie um, about a DJ driving to investigate the death of his brother Uh, I'm not (laughs) sure about how car related that is you know but want to look at Bullet obviously which we haven't covered we will get to french connection which we have it's a really good list it is a good list there's loads more stuff on it but there were just a few jumped out at me like american graffiti that you think that's an unusual choice he's got crash mm. from david cronenberg which i haven't seen i know there was some controversy over it winning the oscar mm. um but hey you know there's there, maybe we're not going to run out of ideas of the obvious stuff if there's all <laughs> these kind of slightly more hidden car movies that we can check out, even if our reviews might not be quite so glowing as they might be for Fast and Furious 12, Fast in Space.
0: (laughs) I I still want to get to Fast and the Furious, like races on patrol or something. Just completely start ripping off uh, the Police Academy series. That'll make me very, very happy. Speaking of reviews, we've had some on iTunes as well. Not iTunes, Apple Podcasts.
1: Apple Podcasts. And I want to say a very big thank you to everybody that we guilt-tripped into saying nice things about us, like Chris said. Thank you all very much. We have been and read them, and I'm very humbled that you've taken the time to write us some nice reviews. It really does mean a lot. It helps us to get further up on the Apple iTunes podcasts, whatever it is these days, um, in the, their charts. Um, we're working hard to try and raise a profile, so if you didn't write a review, why not? get off your bum during lockdown and leave us a nice average three and a half star review or more yeah so thank you all very very much for leaving those reviews it really does mean a lot to us
0: now as you may have noticed there's not a lot of stuff going on at the moment and there seems to have been a lot of um what do you say sort of corporate cost cutting and handwringing, and the announcements of new stuff coming down the line have kind of dropped off and stuff's been pushed back and we're not going to see Top Gun or Ghostbusters until probably next year now I'd have thought. But one thing we have seen a big rise in is e-racing and have you watched any e-racing at all?
1: I have. When when it started I watched a few of the races I watched the one... I was one another one with the race where they had Jensen Button and Jan Magnussen father of Kevin Magnussen battling it out for the lead around I think Lime Rock Park. Oh wow. In old McLaren's uh, Jensen had got his decked out in a livery that looked a lot like his Braun BGP001. I really dig that. I mean that's one of my favorite Formula 1 cars of all time. So slapping its livery on anything makes me happy frankly. <laughs> I watched that one. It was a really good battle for the lead. I still struggle to find it as entertaining as actual racing. I think, good as the graphics are, they're still light years away from where they'd need to be to to really engage in the drama of Mm. the racing. And uh, there's so little consequence that it's hard to get caught up in anything other than like, I mean, this was a very clean battle. By and large, Mm. um, but at the starts, particularly, you know, you can cut corners with impunity. You can drive into the side of other cars, and yes, you might get a car barrel rolling, but there's no damage, and and it's all kind of consequence free and. Therefore, big risks can be taken, and there's just like I say, there's no drama to it. So I enjoy seeing it, and I can see why there's a sudden an enormous rise mm. in esports and professional drivers buying sim rigs that they didn't have before. <laughs> uh, I haven't watched any, although while I remember it, uh, Lando Norris is going to be taking part in an IndyCar e race mm. this weekend, I believe. At Cota. Um, he's yeah, he's going to be driving the was it Arrow Peterson car, yes.
0: Good IndyCar knowledge.
1: Yeah, I, I, he's he's there. Interestingly, one of the guys who's going to be engineering him is his old engineer from McLaren in 2019, uh, Jav, the, who very memorably, if you've ever seen any of Lando Norris's sort of little clips from from FOM last year, he spent the cool down lap of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix taking the Mickey out of and doing impressions and claiming to be crying that his engineer was leaving. Uh, so he's. <laughs> And if you haven't found that clip, go and watch it. It's really funny. It is it's Lando Norris, in a in one bit of onboard radio. It's so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna watch that because I'm keen to see how an F1 driver does in an IndyCar esports race, whether or not because he's a big sim guy and he's done a lot of these races. Whether or not there's any difference in the handling in the way the races are run, does he just disappear off the back and and kind of trundle around in anonymity? Is he up the front? Is he, you know, is all that experience going to be any good? I will be watching that, but I haven't watched all of them because there's just too many.
0: There's loads.
1: I've got to say, the
0: first one that I watched was the one on the Nürburgring Grand Prix track. I think it's like maybe the very first one that the race put on with, I want to say, Tom Clarkson commentating and having a proper commentator and TV kind of production crew really makes a difference in how watchable it is. But the first... Um, I think it was the first F1 official one they did. I uh, There's two things that I really struggle with with e-racing. The first is the fact that you've got cars without damage. It makes it too consequence-free. There's no jeopardy. I think if you have damage, you have people going out the race, you have people crashing because they've done something there should be a consequence to that but also i think that being on a platform where you've got drivers who are doing it because they've got kind of nothing else doing they've been asked you've got people coming in as guests celebrities you've got johnny herbert suddenly um you know Barreling through
1: the cutting the cane. entire first corner or something along those lines. I didn't watch that one, but I heard about it, it.
0: It it kind of makes you think that if you are doing if you're doing F1 professionally, or NASCAR, or IndyCar, or any of those series, where you have worked for many, many years, you've trained, you've got engineers, you've got testing, you've got all of this stuff. And then you do sim racing. And it's a bit of a
1: laugh. Yeah, I think a lot of the actual, genuine, physical, pro, real life, call them what you will, drivers are doing it for the fun of it, to occupy their time mm. in between trying to stay fit and hoping that they can get into a race car some point this year. Mm. I think it's telling that in a lot of these races, the e-racers, the, the, the professionals or the ones who do it... As a serious hobby, mm. are nearly always right at the top mm. and miles away from the others, including Max Verstappen in that as well. Well, Max Verstappen's and Lando Norris are both experienced sim racers, and more often than not, if if he's not dicking about or rebooting his PC, Lando <laughs> Norris is is putting up a pretty good showing. But on a lot of these, it's the professional e racers who know how to get the best from the platform the the program they're racing in the the virtual car setup and so they just dominate which is how it should be for any form of yeah motorsport you should have the best people at the top and
0: they're the ones being celebrated
1: it has made me wonder whether or not it would be entertaining to have a 20 minute e-racing sprint race folded in as part of the weekend's coverage of an f1 weekend mm-hmm.
0: That's, that's, that's and bring the in a
1: guest driver or two every race weekend you say okay we're going to put this as part of our full-blown mm. F1 TV or Sky whoever it is it's going to be part of our coverage in the way that you get GP2 yeah. some weekends you know after the qualifying show or Porsche Super Cup or something however you want to do it 20 minutes and you draft in one or two of these guys who have started doing these races mm. or you know, the, the Lando Norrises and the Max Verstappens of this world who do it anyway and you get them to do A guest spot, like you get guest drivers in the Porsche Super Cup who generally trundle around the back (laughs) and try not to bounce off of other people. Mm. I'd be really interested in watching it, but keep it really short. So I don't know how long these ones are. Are they 20 minutes? Are they 40 minutes? It's it's got to be very short, like a full-blown sprint race. But put it out there in the real public eye so it's not just streaming on YouTube for spots like you and me. Mm. It's actually on television coverage and see what happens. Mm. Because if anything that we've found from this lockdown is that people will watch racing virtually anywhere (laughs) when they can't get it in the places they're normally expecting to. And so why not give it a bit more momentum? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more
0: on our favorite motoring network, motor trend. What have they released now that makes us incredibly envious?
1: Well, I noticed that motoring journalist Tom Ford, who does a lot of writing for Top Gear magazine, amongst others, has a series with Motor Trend called Hard Cell, which that's cell spelt C E L L, as in electronic cell batteries. Right. Oh. Uh, the pun, the pun game is mediocre oh. there, but I like tom ford mm-hmm. he's an engaging presenter he always feels a little bit like he's had too much pop before he starts <laughs> his narrations but this is a i don't know how long it's going to be but this is a series of him driving evs uh there's only two episodes out there at the moment uh, the first one is whether or not an ev can ever be a supercar i haven't seen that one yet but the second one is is can an ev be a legend and he's driving the new porsche Taycan. Mm-hmm. Taken Taycan. Mm, Taycan yeah they can't even decide on the pronunciation in the episode <laughs> and and laying out the history of Porsche specifically through the 911 and showing how it kind of evolved through time and became a legendary car and speculating as to whether or not the Taycan is ground zero for becoming a legend mm. or whether it's just a fast EV car that costs an awful lot of money. It's as well-made as the, you'd expect from the boys and girls at Motor Trend, and jammy git Jethro Bovingdon shows up <laughs> to drift a 911 R and be a jammy git, and also his usual smiley, engaging presenter self. Um... So I enjoyed that episode mightily, not just because I liked Tom Ford, but also because I liked Jethro Bovington mm. and seeing Slidy 911s, and it made me want to 911 again, uh, which I guess is as usual. The uh, auto movie pod test is if it makes you want to go and buy the thing. Mm. It even got me thinking: oh, if I needed a hugely overpowered and very expensive daily. I could have a Taken (laughs) or I could have, I don't know, let's see, I could have a Panamera Turbo or actually I don't need four seats. So I could just have a 911 Turbo, but then I don't know if I really need the Turbo all that much right now. So I could just have a good old Carrera S Mm -hmm. and then I got onto Auto Trader and started looking for (laughs) 997 Carrera S's. This happens a lot right now.
0: They say that men think about sex every 20 seconds or something. For us, we think
1: about 911s every 20 seconds. 20 seconds? Every second? Every <laughs> other thought? If it isn't, where's the pie? It's, <laughs> have I seen a nice... It's, you know Maybe there's a new 911 on Autotrader that I haven't seen this minute. How big of a turbo can Litchfield put onto a Carrera S to get at 11 million horsepower? Oh, that's, the, that's the new Carreras. Uh, I'm not that keen. I know they're super good, and you can put a like, massive... Power out of oh, them, but it's not. This is the, it's not a real nine. This is the new air cool, water cool thing, isn't it? it's is very true. It probably is, and I'm firmly on the side of the dinosaurs liking my non-turbocharged, naturally aspirated nine Thank you very much. You
0: know what? We should start a festival for old nine elevens called like Nick Turboen, and we can <laughs> we'll, we'll do it in that kind of SS font, <laughs> and we'll take a Heritage, and we'll fill it full of nine nine sevens. And people will come and marvel at our retro collection of Porsches. And then we will become big, famous
1: names in the car world and not just two podcast recorders. That sounds like a lot of effort. Can I not just keep surfing Auto Trader and Piston Heads? I can do that in my head. I could do it in Gran Turismo. Does Mr. Heritage appear in Gran Turismo? It feels like the kind of thing they'd have a photo location for. This is the other thing I've been doing an awful lot of, is playing racing games. Once my PlayStation has updated for the thousandth time... <laughs> Do you ever play iRacing? No, God no, because that requires having a PC Uh, and I don't have a PC. So
0: when I had such a thing and I had iRacing and I had a steering wheel and all that good stuff and I had time and energy, um, I downloaded and installed a track for Grand Prix. No, it was for iRacing. It was the old Grand Prix Legends track that somebody had ported onto iRacing. And brilliantly, it had not only the track, the Grand Prix track, the... Nordschleife, the VLN setup, um, you know every configuration. It also had the tourist farm car park. It had the um petrol station, so you could literally do a tourist
1: lap, pull into the car I mean, park, go out to
0: Ed's tankstella, <laughs> fill it with petrol, and drive back.
1: I'd quite like to be able to do that in Gran Turismo or um... real life. Real life would be quite good. Well, yes, as 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 we speak, uh, yesterday. Um, Chris and I had an email from Destination Nürburgring, with whom we were supposed to be travelling to the Nürburgring in early May, to say that that day has unfortunately been cancelled, which is a crying shame, because I was really looking forward to going back to the Nürburgring for the first time in a few years. Um, We'll see if we can get there in September, so virtual laps only at the moment. Speaking of which, and before we get on to the main subject... 27 racers on Twitter have been posting all sorts of racing challenges to do in Gran Turismo and other racing games. And I tried my hand at their challenge to do a sub-8-minute lap in a sort of 90s to two, early 2000s naturally aspirated car. Well, I mean, it wasn't naturally aspirated, but I think it was a kind of don't go too crazy, don't buy a supercar type thing. So Nissan Skyline R34s, thirty-four, um, NSXs, Gen 1s. And the 993 Carrera RS was the car of choice. And I spent a good couple of hours just smashing into Armco, (laughs) fortunately without (laughs) having to pay for it and didn't get, anywhere near eight minutes let alone sub eight some of these people are churning in seven and a half minute laps and i've no idea how Blimey. clearly i don't play this game enough i i'm not even going to mention my time so <laughs> the chances of me doing anything sub eight bridge to gantry in real life are slim to none
0: absolutely absolutely speaking of virtual laps should we go on to our first
1: kids film of the show <laughs> Seamless link. I was going to mention that bit where you said that you had time and energy before, and I was going to say that that's probably because that was before you had children. Yep. Very much so. So, uh, both Chris and I have uh, small children, and as a result, we decided to do an episode dedicated to the movies that we tend to try and show to our small children to engender in them a love for the motor car. And first up is Pixar's 2006 movie, Cars, which... I have seen about 110 million times, (laughs) although not that recently. Uh, My son's nearly seven and he's kind of stopped wanting to watch Cars. Every time we go through the list of Pixar stuff, he's always far more about the Finding Nemo's and Finding Dory's and and less about any of the Cars stuff, which is a shame because I really like the Cars movies. Mm. And I should say, before we go too far into this... If you don't have children, that doesn't mean you shouldn't watch these movies or that you can't watch these movies. Cars in particular, I find really engaging, even just as as an adult. Even if I didn't have children, I think I probably would watch it because it's about cars. (laughs) Um, So this is by Pixar Animation Studios, who everybody (coughs) must have heard of, so I won't give you a history of them. Um, It is directed by John Lasseter with some help from Joe Ranft, and it's basically set in a world populated by anthropomorphic talking cars. (laughs) Uh, It revolves very much around the sort of nostalgic feel of what Route 66 was and then as it, Route 66 starts to die and people go on the auto routes and not auto routes, that's German, <laughs> the uh, freeways, <laughs> the, the, the little town off of this Route 66 called Radiator Springs starts to lose business until a superstar race car finds his way accidentally into Radiator Springs. So the general plot of this is that you you get that kind of feel of fish out of water. It's basically Doc Hollywood. If you haven't mm. seen Doc Hollywood, you should, because Michael J. Fox is brilliant. But this is basically <laughs> Doc Hollywood. Uh, fish out of water from a big town, big city, you know, big hotshot, suddenly put into sleepy, backwards American town, but learns to love all the slightly weird and wonderful people he finds there. Only in this case, the people are cars. Mm. Everyone with me? <laughs>
0: And it's worth saying, if you haven't seen it, you will have seen pictures of Lightning McQueen, you'll have seen pictures of, of the other characters. Everything is a car. Everyone is a car. Every business is run by cars, for cars. The whole thing is cars.
1: That's true. You You kind of missed this stuff because there's so much merchandising around this. Um... So the movie starts with the Piston Cup racing series, which looks a lot like NASCAR with all sorts of NASCAR-looking cars from uh, uh, from through the years. There is Strip the King Weathers, that's the King in inverted commas, uh, who is like the old-school constant winner. There is a frequent runner-up guy who's kind of the bad guy called Chick Hicks, and then there's the brash rookie sensation Jimmy Bly. No, wait, that's <laughs> true. Uh, Rookie sensation, Lightning McQueen. Very good. Um, They are racing in the Piston Cup and the season ends in a three-way tie. So they schedule a tiebreaker race for one week later at the Los Angeles International Speedway. Lightning is desperate to win the race, so he jumps in his truck who then drives them there, falls asleep on the way and somehow ends up getting lost off of the um, freeway and ends up in Radiator Springs. A small diversion Lightning McQueen has an agent that talks to him while he's in the back of this truck. Yep. And in the American version of the movie, it's played by, or the, the, the agent is voiced by Jeremy Piven in a sort of entourage style. In the UK release, it's Jeremy Clarkson. It is. From Top Gear and The Grand Tour and now working on a farm. It's <laughs> better with Jeremy Piven, if I'm honest because all the other voices by and large are American and Clarkson just sounds out of place and slightly Mm. uncomfortable in it. But, you know, if you're watching this, listen out for a little bit of Clarkson. Anyway, Lightning McQueen ends up in this town and he inadvertently ends up destroying the surface of the main road, trying to escape from the town to catch back up with his truck to get to this tie break round so that he can win the Piston Cup. And the town judge, Doc Hudson, orders him to do community service and repave the road. And so he hangs around and works on repaving the road by towing this giant road paving machine. But he begins to warm to the town and all of its kooky residents, including a slightly, I don't know how to put this, the love interest in a movie <laughs> with animated cars in it. <laughs> is a 996 911 called Sally Carrera. And every time I watch it, I'm kind of like, ah, 996 Carreras, are still uh, pretty good looking. And then I think, what am I talking about? It's an animated car. This is basically the Jessica Rabbit of 2006. Anyway, Uh, I I don't want to talk through the whole plot of the movie. The joy for this is that it is made by people that love cars. You can tell in virtually every frame that they love the subject. They love the idea of the road trip. They love the idea of Route 66. They kind of reminisce about the good old days when people drove slightly slower cars for longer trips along binding back roads and stopped off in little sleepy towns that had diners. And, um, you know, cars had that V8 badge on it that has the huge wide V with the 8 nestling <laughs> inside the V. Um I couldn't tell you what car that is somebody who knows more about American cars can tell me what that is but it's a you know it's that kind of era that it's it's romanticising and reminding you of but there's all sorts of little um, little nods and and homages in there that you'll catch if you love cars and if you don't love cars, or if you're a six-year-old boy, you'll just miss it and enjoy the animated stuff, doing funny stuff. Um, The voice of Lightning McQueen is Owen Wilson, who goes, wow, a lot, and and is generally engaging. Paul Newman plays Doc Hudson, the 1951 Hudson Hornet, who is later revealed to be a racing car. And it was his last non-documentary role before he retired in 2007 and died shortly afterwards. So it's one of his last on-screen performances, really, and he's really good in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got Bonnie Hunt as the slightly questionable Sally Carrera and Larry the Cable Guy as Mater, who is a, a tow truck that's super rusty and possibly the most divisive element of the whole movie. Who, who also, his
0: name is based on a pun, brilliantly, because even he says it, it's Mater, but if you look at his sign, he's a tow truck, so it's Tow Mater. Oh and I think he says something like it's you know, mater, like tomato, mater, but without the t.
1: <laughs> yeah, but then I go, hang on, what do cars know about tomatoes? Right. Because they can't eat, right? But the tomato is surely part of a Lincoln Continental breakfast. <laughs> Very good. I'm hungry now. <laughs> um It's got a huge cast in it. So the aforementioned slight bad guy, Chick Hicks, is voiced by Michael Keaton. The King Weathers is a a 1970 Plymouth Superbird, which is the one with the big square wing on the back, uh, as I know it. As driven by Richard the King Petty. Yes, uh, which is awesome. Uh, There's a... Bob Costas is the announcer for the Piston Cup races. So it's just got all of that kind of american good old boy feel about it but it's not offensive it's Mm. just wonderful i really enjoy watching it it's gorgeously animated Mm. even for 2006 you can stick this up on a 4k blu-ray and it looks phenomenal it pops out of the screen it's just the beautiful pixar work you've come to know and love Mm. and like I say, romanticized, but in an entertaining way. It's funny. It's warm hearted. It's perfect kids fair. You know, like the reason I've seen this so much is because this was a perfect Sunday afternoon movie to sort of sit on the sofa and veg out for a couple of hours. And I recommend seeing it. If you haven't seen it, you don't have kids. Don't let that stop you really go and watch it out. They've done a couple of sequels cars to, became a sort of cross between a world series racing across the world Mm. and a spy movie i kind of like that too um there's some really cool moments of what if james bond was a car (laughs) (laughs) which is you know you can see that being a drunken conversation in a pub somewhere and Mm. now there's an animated movie about it and that is if anything even more entertaining to watch in some respects in the first one. And they did a third one, which is more uh, what happens when the new generation comes through and mm. make the old generation look old and rubbish. I've only seen that once. We took Ben to see it in the cinema, and we haven't watched it since, so clearly it didn't resonate as well as the <laughs> earlier ones.
0: I've got to say, just purely in terms of production design and in terms of the story across the three films, if you just watch them and you just look at the stage of the animation... The the first one looks great. There's absolutely no question about that. However, by the time you get to the third one, the animation has moved on so far. It's photorealistic. There are scenes of Mac the truck driving cross-country, which are beautifully rendered. They they look like they've shot it and then just animated the truck in. They're amazing. And also, with um, Cars 2, where they go around the world mostly it's called other things but you can see there's like there's Portofino and there's Tokyo and there's London again the level of detail that goes into the production is astonishing, even to the point, I think,
1: not just with the buildings, because it looks like the places. You know, they've got the architecture, they've got the height, they've got the yeah, textures. the feel, even if it's not mm. exactly perfect, I'm fairly sure that Buckingham House appears right next to the racetrack <laughs> at one point. But then you look at the cars. So Buckingham House? Buckingham Palace? Buckingham Palace. Sorry. Sorry, Sorry your majesty, mm. Tug Forlock.
0: <laughs> if you look at the cars, in London, the Queen is a big stately Daimler, the police cars, a lot of them are Range Rovers, and I think they look like sort of Vauxhall Carltons of a certain era.
1: Not inaccurate.
0: Um, not inaccurate. But they have just they just capture the feel brilliantly, and there's so much you can just watch. But then I think also the story, I mean, there's always the thing with Disney that you get the sequels and, you know, The Lion King and Aladdin, where they do two and three and they go straight to DVD. I think with cars... The
1: straight to disc sequels were actually the the planes films, which are kind of part of the universe. Yeah, then they're, they're they're very much cut price cars, and we watch those two. and And the first one's entertaining enough. The second one is absolute dreck. It's terrible, <laughs> and I wouldn't recommend seeing those. If this were a podcast about planes, I'd be banging um, on about the Eurofighter all the time. So you know what? <laughs> let's let's keep away from that. One thing I will mention is. Um, on the subject of the visuals, Cars was the first Pixar film to use ray tracing, which is a technique that lets oh. the cars reflect their environments credibly, and, and you can see it, and it's like, we've got a new trick, and <laughs> let's plaster <laughs> it all over the shiny <laughs> surface of all our lead characters. Um, but it added an incredible amount of render time back in 2006. The average time to render a single frame for Cars was 17 hours. Wow. And they had something like 3,000 computers custom-built to render. Um, (laughs) Even so, it would take days to render one second of the finished film. So imagine the challenge of getting that right. And if you do something that looks wrong, you've got to go back and do it all over again. It takes forever. And they spent a lot of time trying to be true to the materials of the car, to Mm. to make the cars do things that cars would, you know, rubber. Okay, it deforms in a cartoony way, but not overly so and the mm. metal dense in a metal kind of way there's no uncanny valleyness about it or nothing that you go oh my god that's mm. just ridiculous it's it's done in a way to overemphasise body movement and so on but it's still it feels real and that's the thing it feels like these are real things that you are watching somehow i think one thing that i was thinking about watching this
0: was the very first scene of the of the film is effectively an oval race and there is a scene where there's a line of cars coming off a turn going over a bump and then down a straight past the camera As uh, camera
1: versus past comments. the camera mm.
0: <laughs> you really are hungry aren't you um <laughs> but the thing is watching them You expect a certain type of motion. You expect a certain lean. The way the cars handled the bump felt and looked realistic. Where the cameras were placed were as you would expect... Of a motorsport broadcast, even things like there's a scene where they're introducing the three main protagonists, and they do that thing that they do on TV where they've got the uh, like the kind of the virtual pins stuck in each one, and you've got the uh, the arrow that comes off with the, each one's name. And I think the third one in, in the series is off by a set amount, like somebody in a production gallery had actually done it and missed on one of the cars. There's so much that you can. Just keep digging into and there's just layers and layers and layers of great ideas, great design, even just stuff like um all the tires are provided by instead of Goodyear it's Lightyear as it does like you.
1: Yeah, that's true. I'd forgotten about that. I, I, that's a little thing. If, if you're looking for it, you spot mm. it and have a nod and a, and a chuckle. But if Th- if even... you're not, you just go, that's a tyre manufacturer. <laughs> and which is which is
0: what they say in Futurama, that people who get the joke should laugh at the joke and people who don't get the joke should just, it should just be oblivious to them. But even stuff like, if you ever see lightning up close, there's like revolting alternator servicing and just these like funny little sponsors. But then there's, Jay Leno's in there as a car. A very Um, Jay Leno-looking car. A very Jay Leno-looking car. Um, But, uh, you know, a lot of the cars are real. George Carlin is a VW hippie camper truck, and, like, the number plate is his date of birth, and just all of this lovely, lovely little stuff. And the great thing is as well, apart from Lightning, which who is kind of a generic NASCAR, not really anything, you can start looking through and going, I wonder how much a Hudson Hornet is. And then you go online and you find they're like thirty thousand dollars, and you got to go, ooh, and you can just start picking through all these bits of cars. Um, in many senses of the words, even the fact. And my god, I love this. My 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 kid doesn't get at all the Fast and the Furious reference, but they have. Um, there's a scene early on where there is a, a bit of um, tomfoolery involving an articulated lorry and like four fast and the furious <laughs> massive spoiler blue flames and they the are surface.
1: very fast and furious probably overly so in that they're blasting nitrous flames and they've got neons underneath and yeah it, kind of old school fast and furious before it kind of turned into this big mush of enormous <laughs> never-ending car chases down runways and over bridges. One thing that I would
0: say is that if you are watching this with a small kid, the first Cars film is a great, self-contained, just little parcel, little story. All the characters are there. They all make sense. They all have a purpose. And there's quite a strong narrative about doing the right thing and, you know, accepting people for who they are and etc. etc. et cetera, Cars 2... Does it has the heroes problem. So those of you who are old enough to remember Heroes, the Tim Kring series, all the characters that you love and are, and are established in the first film, almost none of them appear in the second film, which is very confusing. But the third film then kind of goes back to those characters and it kind of keeps in the same vein. I think there's probably more for a lot of adults in the third film because it kind of deals with the younger generation and acknowledging that you're getting older, acknowledging that you're not as fast as you once were and, and all these sorts of things. But if you are a car person, do give cars a try. If for no other reason than you can then go to Disneyland Paris, like I have, have your photo taken with
1: um, Guido and Luigi and go and see the Piston Cup. oh, speaking of those little forklifty things, there is a cameo from Michael Schumacher at the end, isn't there? There is. There theres he comes in as a Ferrari 430 that needs some tyres and and the little forklifty things who worship the ground of Ferrari and everything <laughs> just fall over. Oh, and my favourite moment of all time, the the race at the very, very end uh, when Lightning McQueen needs a pit stop and they do like a pit stop in like two seconds flat. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Pit stop. It makes me so happy watching that that moment. Um Yeah, when you watch this movie, you haven't seen it before, you'll know the bit I mean. If you have seen it and you don't have a little smile (laughs) on it when that pit stop happens, then you are dead inside. Can I I just add, on a
0: complete tangent, because this is our podcast, so hey, do you know how they do the captive nuts for NASCAR?
1: Do they chase them down and catch them in a net? No, (laughs) I don't. It's NASCAR. Everything's made out of steel and rust and good old boys. Okay, so... I'll be very quick, because this has... Well, it kind of fits
0: with cars. Anyway, so NASCARs are, what, five lug um, hubs. They're not a lot like an F1 car. So what NASCAR do, what the NASCAR teams do, is they glue the nuts onto the wheel. So they push the wheel on, all the nuts are there, ba 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 onto the next one. However, because they are using quite long studs, if you just super the nuts onto the wheel... They would either fall off when you push the wheel on or they would stop the wheel going on in the first place. So, what they do is they glue them but with a glue that will stay tacky enough so that when they push the wheel on, the nut catches on the end of the stud, but the wheel can then go on and the glue stretches between the nut and the wheel. And if they glue them too early and the glue hardens, it won't work. If they glue them too late and the glue's too soft, it won't work. So they have to time when they glue the nuts onto the wheels, given the heat and the humidity and all that sort of thing, so that it'll give just the right amount when they put the wheels on.
1: I like that in that it is a, a clever solution to a specific problem, but it's a problem that they shouldn't have because they should have a single centre <laughs> lock hub. Like every other motorsport series across the world, apart from good old boys NASCARing. (laughs) But I admire the ingenuity there. That is a very cool solution to the problem. So anyway, going back to cars. Yes. So I like it. I think you should watch it. And... If you have a small person that hasn't seen it yet, then you should definitely watch it, possibly on the new Disney Plus service you've probably subscribed to because you're running out of things to watch on Netflix.
0: (laughs) You have a small child that you're in the house with all the time.
1: Yeah. Also,
0: if you do have Disney Plus or the Blu-rays or any of that sort of stuff, there are a host of shorts that feature Mater and sometimes Lightning and some of the other characters. So they are also worth a watch.
1: They are... A lot of them are really, really good. They're really hilarious. Right. That is cars. You're gonna talk about the love bug. Yes. So
0: if I say the love bug, do you know the car that I'm referring to and do you know the film?
1: I think it's a beetle.
0: <laughs> so the reason the reason why I say this is that I put the love bug in our in our notes, not mentioning who the character is or the studio or anything so 1968 during a period when disney made a lot of live action films and i'm talking like 10 films a year from about like 1940 through to the 70s they were generally quite family orientated but they were really churning them out one of them was a film called The Love Bug. Now, The Love, love Bug features a driver mechanic called Jim Douglas, who is a bit down on his luck, needs a car, goes past a European car dealer, and goes in, tries to sweet-talk the, uh, the owner, and finds a VW Beetle that somebody's traded in, and this guy deals with what they call the Thorndike Special, and... Rolls Royces and uh, all sorts of Italian loveliness so he's like tell you what uh, uh, $75 here you go here's a Beetle and this guy takes it out drives down the road and suddenly the car goes off it just it does pops a wheelie off it goes down the street he tries to drive it onto the freeway and it cowers under an underpass that he thinks there's something wrong with it. He thinks that they're playing a joke on him or something like that. So he takes it all to bits. He fits it all out. But what he notices is that while it seems to be going on its own, it's almost like the throttle is sticking or something. It is fast. It's not fast, it's a 40 horsepower Beetle. However, it seems to be very, very fast. And so he starts entering it in races and he starts winning races including, possibly, if you were to research it slightly too much, the Can-Am race at Laguna Seca was won one year by a Beetle in Disney World. (laughs) The owner of the car dealership, who's racing against him in a beautifully type and a Ferrari that we'll come on to later, then starts trying to get the car. But Jim's friend, a brilliantly named sidekick of slightly indeterminate origin called Tennessee Steinmetz. And if I ever need a false name, I'm using Tennessee Steinmetz. Falls in love and basically sees this car as a person and calls it Herbie. And that's where the name comes from that then goes on to Herbie Goes Bananas and Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo and Herbie Fully Loaded. Jim starts to realise that this car is something a bit special. And not just because it's quick, not just because it's winning races, but it's having a personality. Jim buys a Lamborghini to try and improve
1: his race results. Herbie smashes it to bits. <laughs> See, I don't like Beatles at the best of times. If I buy a Lamborghini <laughs> and the stupid thing smashes my Lambo to bits, that beetle is going in the crushes, fast or not. <laughs> um, the,
0: the, kind of the third act of, of, of the film is a race, a road race called the El Dorado, which is kind of slightly Milamiglia-ish, with um, TV crew covering it sort of checkpoint to checkpoint. And there are capers and there are japes and stuff happens. And it basically comes down to Jim Douglas in Herbie versus um, Klondike. I keep keep trying to say, is he Klondike? I really should check this. Peter Thorndike. Why did I get Klondike from? Peter Thorndike. So the whole thing builds to to this race. Who's going to win? What's going to happen to Herbie. There are various plots and backers and and all this sort of stuff. The thing that that grabbed me, first of all, is that it's quite a slow starting film. Although I watch this stuff now with an iPad on my lap because I'm looking at IMDb going, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. The first race that you see Herbie in, I was was watching it going, that looks very familiar. Where do I know that from? And I realised it's the first place that you also see Ken Miles race in Ford versus Ferrari. Both of which were shot
1: at Willow Springs. I say it's Big Willow, isn't it? And it hasn't changed. (laughs) No, it's out in the middle of the desert. I've been doing that on Gran Turismo. It's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Try doing it in
0: a Beetle. It's a very good family film. It's a little bit slow by kind of modern standards. The other thing I think with it as well is that because it was of a time when Disney were making films quite quickly and they were making films, I think, quite cheaply. I mean, this was all filmed in mono- Uh, Sorry, the audio was all done in mono originally. It wasn't a multi-track stereo like some of the big productions. A lot of the first half of the film basically takes place on two or three sets. The bits that aren't on sets are quite obviously on sound stages. The... I have to say, Peter Thorndike, the the, the classic car dealer and English snob, um, who's played by a guy called David Tomlinson, who might not mean much to most people listening to this but he was mr banks in mary poppins and i said in the last show when we we're talking about the italian job that ed norton was sort of doing his mustache twiddling bad guy this is that turned up several notches he is playing a proper disney family villain brilliantly you know no scenery is left untued. It it's it's just brilliant um The progression, I think, with Jim, where he kind of goes from it's a car, I'm winning races because of me, to realising that this car has more than just a personality, which is never really explained. It's that slightly Groundhog Day thing where this car's magic and it just kind of is. It's never really explained into and doesn't need to be. When he comes round to what this car actually is, it's not just a car. It's not just a thing. It's not just him winning races in this um, machine. He actually kind of has feelings and he has emotions and all this sort of stuff. It's really, really nicely played. It's not underplayed. It's not OTT. um, And it leads into a very, very beautiful sequence, given that this was two or three years after Mary Poppins there's a scene when Herbie feels like he's not being loved. So he runs away and Jim runs through San Francisco trying to find Herbie because he now realises that Herbie is actually more than just a car. He's he's a friend. He's somebody who is helping him. And he runs through... Uh, Again, some of it's obviously sound stages. It's the the kind of the hill valley type um, film towns that you've seen in all sorts of films. Yeah, but there's also scenes where he's running through map paintings, where it's a silhouette running into the mist with this map painting of San Francisco in the background. It's beautiful. Um, I think the the, the this. One slight problem in terms of the pacing of the film, which is that a lot of the caper is in the second and really the third part of the film. There's a lot of sort of building up to get to that point. There's also, again, a, a kind of that scene in the middle where Herbie runs away. And just before that, there's a scene where, to try and, try and nobble Herbie, Herbie um, Thorndyke is pouring Irish coffee into his gas tank to make Herbie drunk, which I'm not prudish about such things, I just think that do many people know what an Irish coffee actually is these days? Um <laughs> and also when Herbie runs away ultimately you find him trying to throw himself off the Golden Gate Bridge because he he doesn't feel loved and he wants to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge which is a bit it's a bit dark for a Disney film. But again, it's not really dwelled on it. It's not something that I would sort of be overly concerned about. But then when they get to the to the to the Eldorado race that's when it becomes a bit more jokey, a bit more um, a bit more caperish. So there's a scene that involves Peter Thorndike mistaking his co-driver for a brown bear, and he's driving along with a brown bear in his car. I would love to know if it's a real brown brown bear. It looks like a real brown bear. <laughs> it's fantastical. It's, you know, it's it's OTT. The humour is is broad. It's not um particularly, you know, it's not. Crude. It's not offensive. It's also not overly simplistic. Disney Plus. I don't know if if you've noticed this, but certain films are actually getting a bit of a kind of modern edit or or are being tweaked a bit. So there's um one of the kind of the 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 outtakes, if you like, at the end of Toy Story Two is Prospector Pete kind of suggesting to Barbie that he knows the director, and if they sleep together, he might get him a part in the film. That no longer appears on Disney Plus. There's also one spotted recently with... You know Splash with Daryl Hannah? Yeah. There's a scene when she runs naked into the sea and as she runs away, you can see her bare bum. Except in the Disney Plus release where somebody has CGI'd kind of a, like her long hair has been cloned over her bum into like a weird pair of hair shorts. Anyway. <laughs> um, so this is... I mean, it, it's a fairly long film. It, it's It's... Bit over hundred minutes. It's not as long as Chitty, Chitty Bang Bang, which. Oh my God! If you have kids with a short attention span, do not try and watch Chitty, Chitty Bang Bang. It's like forty minutes until you see the car. It's that's a long film, but it's 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 good fun. If they can kind of stick with it through, like maybe the first half hour, I think there's there's a lot to sort of get out of it. And the Disney team who did it did a fantastic job in making a car have emotions. And this wasn't CGI. I mean, there's there's one slightly dubious optical effect that hasn't really coped with the transfer to HD terribly well. But a lot of it, there's... like So, like, when Herbie's full of Irish coffee and he's drunk, they've cambered all the wheels, oddly, and it's, like, wobbling side to side on the track. Or if he's scared, he shakes. If he's angry, he'll you know, make a noise or he'll do something to show he's angry. And it, it it plays so clearly, but again, kind of subtly enough that it doesn't seem odd that you kind of start finding yourself going, oh, yeah, so he's obviously feeling this emotion. He's, he's reacting that way because this has happened. Or, you know, somebody says he's just a car, so he gets upset. You completely buy it. I started watching the second one, which is... Herbie Rides Again. And again, they'd kind of junked a load of the other characters and they'd brought in other people, so I just gave up after about 10 minutes. But as a single capsule of a film, The Love Bug, or as it's sometimes known, Herbie the Love Bug, absolutely worth a watch if you like a sort of Disney Sunday afternoon film you can not only enjoy it for the film, for the story, also for the stock footage, because they have footage of the Monterey Can-Am race from 1960-whatever, and it's all, you know, massive, wide Can-Am cars. And there's one shot where they got... It's quite clearly like an early 60s 911 in a race field, which always looks good. And, oh, this is what I should mention. So in the first race, Peter Thorndike drives an E-Type, beautiful-looking E-Type, can't beat Herbie. We should talk about the racing. Any time you see a VW Beetle weaving in and out of Porsches and E-Types and Ferraris... You start laughing? The film's obviously sped up a lot in lots of places. Where it's not sped up so much, you can see from the language of the cars that they're, like, pootling along in second gear. Trying to let this beetle go past. This is you know, something there's
1: No, yeah, this is something that Al Clark mentioned. And if you haven't listened to his amazing interview uh, podcast, it's the previous episode to this one, uh, the Intermission Podcast with Al Clark. He's a fascinating listener. And he talks about this kind of thing where sped up footage just looks wrong because the car is not behaving dynamically in the right way for the speed mm. it's going. So it'll either bounce all over the place or just dart unrealistically. Yeah, I, it's a bugbear of mine and you see it sometimes. I can remember seeing it in Smokey and the Bandit very briefly when mm. they were very sparing with their use of it so it didn't stick out in every single scene where they tried to make it look quick. <laughs> uh, it's more of a thing in Herbie, as I remember.
0: It is, it is. There, There is some great precision driving. So if you want cars kind of crossing in like a figure of eight sort of thing and they're slotting in the gaps, there is that stuff. And that looks properly... Impressive, you know, that that's really good stunt driving. So the second car that you see Peter Thorndike driving is actually kind of interesting. It's a Ferrari 250 GT with coachwork by Scaglietti, I want to say. Um For those... Hi, Matt. For those <laughs> who are into sh- chassis numbers, it's 0585 GT. It's a Tour de France car. And it was... Used in the film, so like I say, you actually see uh, Peter Thorndyke drive it. He wins the race in this car. Beautiful, beautiful car. When the film was over, it was actually owned by Walt Disney himself. It was then sold to somebody who then let his son use it. And I asked Ed Callow, noted Ferrari guru, and also James at DK Engineering, kind of what happened, because there's this line in the car's history where the dad bought it, I think it's his son, drove it, possibly owned it, abandoned it at the side of the freeway, and then it got restored. And it was it was by the side of the freeway for several weeks, apparently, because it was just this old Ferrari racing car. James Cottingham said he over-revved the engine and bent a valve. Car was left there broken down for a week or two, um, and it was later sold too. And uh, I'm, I'm mashing together several articles in my head. A gentleman called Rothman, who was supposed to possibly be the Rothman of Rothman cigarettes, then to somebody else who basically had it shipped from the US to the UK in boxes where DK Engineering did a full restoration of it and got it back to its Rosso Corsa. It is that blue and white NART stripe, blue interior. It is gorgeous, gorgeous car. It was sold at auction for, like, I think, about $4.5 has since gone back to DK. And they actually have an F12 TDF in matching specs. So it's the matching interior, matching exterior. Dread to think what it's worth now. But Herbie, apparently the reason why they chose Herbie was that they basically had a casting call for cars and they got these cars down to the Disney studios. And they were kind of going down and sort of mmm and ah and pointing and commenting about lines and masculinity. And then when they got to the Beetle, people started stroking it and went, oh, it's cute, we'll have that in the film. The film should have been about a Ferrari 250 TDF because it's <laughs> so much better looking. It's, you know, it would have been a fantastic film and for what was essentially at the time a old racing car. Although, yeah, if you look at, I think Seen Through Glass did a, a look around the, the DK engineering storage area. I say storage in the most nice middle-class way. And you, you'll see it in there. They've got restoration photos on their website. The car has quite a kind of storied history. And frankly, for me, that is my star of the film. Give it a watch. If you haven't watched it, I mean, I haven't watched it in probably 35 years and I'm only 40. It's surprisingly good. I think it's 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 really nice, properly big-hearted film that kids, young kids, old kids, there's nothing there for the car geeks to get into. Um, give it a watch. Let us know what you think.
1: Mega. Good choice. Let's move on to the YouTube pick of the week. Uh, And we're going to just add in a little extra thing here for having not only a YouTube clip, but also if you've got one that you want to highlight a channel as well. Uh, So my YouTube pick of the week is not actually technically on YouTube. You can see a tiny highlights version of it. Um, I went back to try and find a full version of the World Endurance Championship 6 hours of Silverstone race in 2015, specifically because there was a 40-something minute battle for the lead between uh, Audi and Porsche in the LMP1 hybrid class. It was the first year that Porsche had stepped up to the top level of hybrid power eight megajoules which meant they could punch out the corners super quickly and so you have this fascinating and really hard-fought battle between an audi that's loaded with aero and is decimatingly quick through the corners watching it go through maggots and becketts it's almost as quick as an f1 car um, despite wearing weighing 200 kilos more but then you get to the straight and the porsche just disappears It will put something like nine or ten car lengths on the Audi by the end of the hangar straight. It's phenomenal. And this battle rages between the two cars. They're working their way through the slower traffic like it's not even there. They're overtaking cars on the inside, outside, through the middle between other GT cars. Being a gentleman driver in this race must have been an absolute nightmare because there's these (laughs) LMP1 cars flashing past you from all directions. And there's this, like I say, 40-minute section where... The Audi passes, and then the Porsche instantly repasses on on the straight and then the Audi goes for a pass coming out of woodcut onto the old pit straight, and the Porsche just smashes through before it gets to cops and then the Audi catches up enormously through maggots and beckets, and actually passes round the outside after one one memorable moment where I think the Porsche gets baulked by a slower car, and the Audi nips round the outside but You know, the the driver in the Porsche goes, doesn't matter. I have hyperspace button. And by the end of the straight, (laughs) the Porsche is so far ahead. It just goes, bye bye. It's off. So you can watch a very small highlights version on YouTube, which is a battle that happened later on in the race. But the one I was looking for was the one sort of closer to the the two and a bit hour mark. And I found what I'm terming a slightly piratey link to a (laughs) full version of the race. I don't know how long it's going to be there. I can't find an official download. And the, uh, uh, the, the FIAWC YouTube channel have not put this out as a full race. More's the pity because it's a fantastic race. I was there. I remember watching this in absolute disbelief. I've never seen racing for the lead harder in prototypes than this. They are going at it hammer and tongs with no quarter asked or given, but with just enough racing room given. It's phenomenal. So if you're feeling like you're missing out on some real hard racing, I would open up a VPN connection maybe and have a look at this link while it's still live. 20 minutes into this, And just keep watching and you'll be sucked in. It's amazing. Oh, and my channel of the week. Uh, This is one I've discovered. I can't remember where I found it. Hill Climb Monsters. If you want to see small cars with massive, massive power climbing hills, this is the channel for you. Uh, There's all sorts of stuff. If I read out their popular uploads, 920 horsepower Ford RS200 Pikes Peak version. 1,005 horsepower Audi Quattro short wheelbase, 1,600 horsepower Nissan GT-R R35 with what looks like a dinner table bolted to the front. It's absolutely bonkers. <laughs> but my favourite of all of these is a car that you've probably seen on a clip somewhere, a BMW 1 Series with a Judd V8 engine in it. Moving yes. to 12,000 RPM it sounds unbelievable it was um, owned and driven by a driver called uh, Georg Plaza who unfortunately passed away at the wheel of the car at a hill climb um, oh no uh, in 2011 so it's quite an old car now but go back and look at these clips because it's the best legacy anyone could leave behind of an absolutely bonkers little BMW making a sound like a mid-90s F1 car. It's fabulous. Hmm. It
0: is. It really, really is. So my YouTube pick of the week, I have fudged it again um, because what I've chosen is very short, but there are lots of them. (laughs) Several years ago now, and it was... Twenty eleven Button and Hamilton at McLaren era. Yeah, you know this stuff better than I do. They Ron Dennis had this idea for doing an animated series called Tooned, and they got Framestore, who do a lot of visual effects and animation. They got Alexander Armstrong playing the professor, who is this kind of uh, authority figure in the in the show, and Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button. Now for the first series it was all quite capery. there were lots of nods to their various sponsors so you know at one point literally Alexander Armstrong has the line where he goes we've been testing a new lubricant uh, developed in partnership with our friends at Mobile 1 it was quite uh, it was quite fun but it was very much a sort of McLaren thing for the second series though and this is what they've put on YouTube so McLaren actually have this on the on their their site and we'll put a link to the playlist in the show notes for the second series it was coinciding with the 50th anniversary of McLaren. So what they have is each episode references a certain person in McLaren's history. So the first one is Bruce McLaren. Um, I think PK has his own episode. Poss- uh, not PK. Um, Brazilian, Fittipaldi. Yes. Um, James Hunt has an episode voiced by his son. Who, Freddie Hunt. Freddie Hunt, thank you. Who sounds dead ringer for his dad. Yes, he does. Um, but then they've got, you know, ones with Senna and Mika Hakkinen. And um, it's it, each one is this kind of very of its time little cartoon. So there'll be one set in the 80s and everything looks like it's been recorded on a VHS. The sponsors are kind of accurate. Um, some of the, Obviously, they're tweets, so they're not actually the sponsors, but they'll be tweaked in some way. And there's lots of funny little jokes. I think it was the first series, unfortunately which has one of my favourite jokes in the whole series, where I think Lewis Hamilton drives away from the MTC in a Formula One car, just like Driven, and then pulls up at a drive through and the sign above it says Gerhard's Burgers. <laughs> yeah, that is good. But it's full of of all these sorts of little things. If you are a McLaren fan, if you know the drivers, they're glorious to hear Mika Hakkinen do the the voice track for a cartoon is just fantastic and they're not long i mean they are maybe 5, five minutes, minutes ago aren't they
1: yeah they're very short and i think that was the key mm. because the guys doing the voices are largely not actors alexander armstrong aside mm. you can't ask them to do very much you've got to play to their strengths and i i really enjoyed these i think like you say the second series was was more entertaining because they did this kind of look through their history they did a third series in 2013 when Lewis Hamilton had left to Mercedes and Sergio Perez was pairing up with Jensen Button at McLaren. And I think they kept the tone oh there with um, sort of playing up to Perez's Mexican heritage. And that was quite entertaining. But since then, uh, they've kind of just not done anymore. And I think this kind of coincided with some unrest at McLaren, mm. Honda coming in, it all kind of going quite badly wrong there. And then Ron being removed by the shareholders for not doing an especially good job and annoying absolutely everyone in Formula One. You, you know refuse what? to work with him. I'm actually just looking at their IMDb page
0: now. I didn't realise there was, a th- or I'd forgotten there was a third series. In the second series, you've got Alexander Armstrong as a professor and you've got this guy who plays this... Um, kind of caretaker who's been there forever, who I'd forgotten about, who was played by Brian Cox. So, yeah, they absolutely spent some money on it. Kevin Magnuson's in it, Alonso's in it, Soffel Van Dorn's in it, Nick DeVries is in it. It's, yeah, but it's really well done. It's It's really, it is really entertaining.
1: Yeah, worth a watch those ones. They really they they're, they're fun to revisit a time in in F1 history. Particularly the early ones where, you know, back in 2011-2012, McLaren was still a front-running, race-winning team. And it pains me as a lifelong McLaren fan that that is not the case right now, although, you know, the future was mm. looking quite rosy for them. Uh I have no idea how the lockdown and subsequent shortening of the F1 season is going to affect them, but it's kind of fun to go back and remember when McLaren was still one of the very biggest teams in F1 and still winning loads of races they also have
0: this running joke in the first place. I'm not going to spoil all of them but when the drivers come through there's a tour guide in the background and it as the drivers leave frame she introduces some artefact and there was one where there's this display cabinet on the wall there's like a load of trophies and one of them's um, just full of the letter K just over and over and over again and this woman goes and these are all the spare K's left over from Mika Hakkinen (laughs) <laughs> it's like,
1: what? Yeah. Um, oh, one of my favourite visual gags in that is the fact that they, underneath the MTC, they have their own underground tunnel lair test track, yes. and I always thought, you know what? I wish McLaren actually had that. You think because they don't? That would be awesome. Well, yeah, that's just it's it, it, it. Always made me a laugh and B wish fondly that Ron had had the foresight to build an underground Formula One track underneath (laughs) the MTC. Come on, Ron. It's a full-on Bond villain. Why didn't you do that?
0: (laughs) Now, for my YouTube channel pick, I would be very, very tempted if you hadn't already uh, mentioned it in our previous intermission. Al Clark recommended the Hoonigan Autofocus channel, which is done by um, Larry Chen. And is a really... Good. If you haven't seen it, it's basically him going and looking at different cars. Very much his sort of niche. So it's very kind of Hoonigan, JDM modified, all this sort of thing. Very well done. Really engaging. I'll give Al that one though. So instead, I'm going to go quite off-piste for our kind of our our normal theme for a channel called Combi Life: Combi with a K. And Is this people who
1: drive Vauxhall Combi vans? Nearly, VW combis. Um, oh, no, is this all kind of beardy, hippy, split-screen, surfboardy... Yes.
0: So it's uh, it's about a couple uh, <laughs> who, who go to the States, renovate this combi van, not a split-screen, go through all the build and are in the process of sort of just driving it around the world. And it's the two of them... Does and it break
1: down? And Please dogs. tell me it breaks down.
0: Not as much as previous adventures. They've, they've done a number of these, and, and the chap in it has done, you know... Uh, like Alaska to South America and and a few others, some of those have broken down a lot. Um, But the latest adventure, they're kind of a bit more experienced. They've got a better engine and things like that. So if you like adventure, if you like the idea of being self-sufficient and driving around the world and living in a VW combi van, this is one for you, won't be everybody's taste, but at the very least, the ones where they're actually renovating the van, building the van... Seeing like the parts that are available for them, how the engines are made, all that sort of thing, is interesting. If you are into the mechanicals, like I say, won't be for everyone.
1: But if if that sounds good to you, give it a go. go. that wraps up this twentieth episode of the auto movie podcast um 21 if you count the mystery episode that we never aired and never will (laughs) Uh, so we'll just call this episode number 20 thank you all so much for listening Uh, if you've got any thoughts or comments then you can share them at comments at Automovie pod um or you can get us on Automovie pod on twitter let us know what you think do you have children have you watched cars a thousand times do you think that cars two is actually secretly slightly better than cars (laughs) one hit us up with all your thoughts and as ever if you haven't left us a nice review please do it does help spread the word i am now off to radiator springs (laughs) see you next time everyone